Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. You know, in a culture that is so often defined by just whatever is right there in front of us, good, bad, or, or otherwise, not defined by bigger stories, greater truths, a higher power that gives us definition and hope, really making a big deal of Easter, like the Jesus part, not the Easter bunny part, is so needed. In the story of Easter, we have a reason for hope in a world filled with anxiety and depression. We have a source of peace and joy. But even more than that, we don't just have hopeful thinking, we get to have hopeful living. So let's pray together um, and give our uh, attention to God as we turn to the scriptures this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. Um, And we just come to you this Easter Sunday, giving you our attention. It's a beautiful day. We have so many things to be grateful for and thankful for. But right now we give our attention to you, to your word. Would you speak life to us? And I really pray, Jesus, that this is not just a Easter holiday of eggs and and food and like cheerfulness, but that this is an Easter holiday that speaks to us like it did that first Easter. That speaks a a trembling earth and just an earthquake of of hope and resurrection and new life that just kind of blows our our socks off. We're just, Jesus, would you work change in us? Because we know you can. I really believe you want to with each and every person here. And because we need it. So would you touch our hearts and our minds as we read your word today? Would your word determine and define things in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are going to be in uh, Mark's account. Uh, He was a follower of Jesus, and he wrote down his experiences from his perspective. Jesus was crucified on Friday put in the tomb on Friday night. Saturday was the day of a Sabbath rest. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus's body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance to the tomb? How are we going to handle this? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you, before he died. 
the women fled the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone yet because they were too frightened. The word of the Lord. Uh, are, the, are the women happy this first Easter? Maybe, probably. Mostly, though, they were just plain scared out of their minds. They knew how to deal with death. They, they, they went to the tomb, their, their steps dragging with sorrow and fatigue to take care of his body, to prepare it for as part of his funeral preparation. They said, you know, we're just going to go and, you know, be with his body one last time. And we bought the best spices and, you know, we'll get a nice headstone. And Salome, you make beautiful memory books and they're going to cry together and do what they need to do. We know how to be sad. We know how to slog through. We know how to make the best of it. We know how to cope. We know how to complain. But they did not know how to deal with this. You know, it's one thing to name pain and trauma. It's another thing to recover and restore. It's one thing to call out and condemn the the systems of Roman oppression, systemic racism, a very broken criminal justice system that killed an innocent man. It's another thing to follow this resurrected death row victim back into the world that killed him and believe in resurrection and reconciliation. These three women, They went with uh, expensive uh, oils and and spices to anoint a dead body. And, you know, they had followed Jesus for a while. They had heard Jesus say stuff about him coming back to, to life. But they went on Saturday night, bought these expensive things. They didn't say, you know what, let's just... Tomorrow morning, just go to the tomb, just, just check it out in case maybe he's risen, and then, then we'll go and spend our money. They didn't do that. They just went and bought the stuff. They knew there was going to be a dead body there for them to prepare. No one was expecting a resurrection. They know how to deal with death. They don't know how to deal with alive again. And neither do we. And they would look like such fools. They would look like idiotic, emotional women. Who would possibly believe them? The uh, um, Greek philosopher Celsus, he lived in the second century. We've got some writings of his preserved. And he said that Christianity could not possibly be true because it was based on the testimony of women And we all know that women are hysterical. (laughs) History man. You know, sometimes we think that the, um, the early promoters of Christianity, of this faith, you know, it was easier for them to believe in the resurrection, easier for them to sign off, buy in on this impossible, you know, unbelievable miracle because... They were primitive, they were pre-scientific, they had their superstitions, you know, we know better. But honestly, I think you could argue the exact opposite. They may not have known biology and the pulmonary system and what a cell is, but they were farmers. They delivered their own babies, they dressed their own dead, they killed animals and watched the lifeblood flow out of it. They know, without any of the like educational distance from it that we have that dead things 
stay dead. These women, they would look like such fools. Who would possibly believe them? Esau Macaulay, a great author, says that Christians are, at their best, fools who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things back to life. Dare to believe in God's power to call dead things back to life. But maybe, maybe the most terrifying part for these women, you know, they had a little bit of experience with resurrection when they saw Jesus call Lazarus out of his own tomb and he came out. When they saw Jesus place his hand on on the widow's coffin and say, get up, young man, and he got up. When Jesus held the hand of Jairus' dead little daughter and she was no longer dead, he did it. He was alive and holy and filled with love, and so he raised the dead. But nobody had been to this tomb last night to do a prayer meeting. As he lay there, dead himself, God raised him. He raised himself. And that means he is more than just a man of God. The man is God. And they would come to believe as Jesus appeared to, to more, uh, the rest of the disciples would come to believe this more and more clearly as the months went on. And the followers of Jesus has believed this throughout the ages for a variety of reasons. Um, we've got a little a video clip that lays this out well. There are four pieces of evidence for the resurrection. The first is his absence from the tomb. No one has ever satisfactorily explained how Jesus' body was absent from the tomb that first Easter day. People have come up with all kinds of explanations. For example, maybe the authorities stole the body. Well, in that case, why didn't they produce it when people started saying that he'd risen from the dead? Or perhaps the robbers stole the body. But when the disciples heard that Jesus had, had been seen, they ran to the tomb. And they found that the tomb was not empty. Inside the tomb were the grave clothes that Jesus had been wrapped in. The only valuable thing that a robber might have taken was still there. The grave clothes had collapsed like a caterpillar's cocoon when a butterfly has emerged. And the piece that had been around Jesus' head had been folded up and put in a different place. And when they saw that, they believed. The second was his presence with the disciples. Jesus was seen on more than 11 occasions, on one occasion by a group of around 500 people. People say, well, it could have been a hallucination. Well, hallucination does happen among highly strong, very nervous or highly imaginative people, or people who are sick or are on drugs. But the disciples don't fit any of those categories. They were cynics like Thomas. There were tough fishermen, there were tax collectors, and tax collectors do not hallucinate. The third piece of evidence is the transformation that we see in the disciples. Here was a group of people who were disillusioned, despairing that their leader had died, and then suddenly they were transformed. They started saying, we've seen Jesus, he's really alive. And they went around telling everybody. Later on, practically all of them were killed, crucified, tortured, beheaded because of what they believed. And if they were deceiving people, all they had to do was say, no, 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 it's not actually true. But they never said that because they knew it was true. It had totally transformed their lives. And as a result, this extraordinary movement swept around the whole known world. 
And it's a movement without precedent in the history of humanity. And fourth, it's still happening today. There are now over 2.3 billion Christians around the world of every ethnicity, continent, nationality, economic, social and intellectual background. They all speak of this encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. You know, we do have a reason to believe. You know, the improbable way that the story was written, testified to by women, the, the scandal of a crucified religious leader. Crucifixion is disgusting. No, like, you know, if, if you are looking to make up a story, honey, you can do better than that. But as, as they mentioned there, most of us who do believe, and if you do not believe, you are in good company, good company with many of the early uh, uh, disciples. But most of us who do believe, believe because we have experienced some sort of hope out of despair, forgiveness from failure and, and sin, some sense of new life that goes beyond us. You know, as a, um, growing up as a child, I was very, very quiet. Um, you know, I remember, uh, I was not that young, but uh, a family friend coming over and being like, your kids never talk. I'll give you $2 to talk. And uh, I was like, I mean, $2 is a fair amount of money. I'm like, uh-uh, no, nothing, uh, no, no deal, dude. Um, just pretty like closed, closed in. And, um, you know, graduated uh, high school, went to college, which for some folks is you know, they just imagine graduating college, graduating, going to college. For me, it was not a uh, guaranteed. So I made it. I had proved myself. Um, now, now everyone would know that I was, I was worthy. It was a huge, huge deal um, for me. I thought, you know, life is going to get so much better when people realize and they will like me so much more and I've proved myself worthy. Um, went to college my first week uh, of college and I've, I've said this, um, I went to my first uh, fr party, my first like frat party, my first Bible study and my first prayer meeting. And what I saw in the party was a little uh, surprising. I had not gone to parties. I don't think I was invited. Um, but what I saw in the Bible study and the prayer meeting was even more surprising. People who talked to God like they knew him and like he might do stuff for them. Um, started following Jesus, um, and um, really the, the change in me was dramatic. Uh, is, Jesus is still changing me. I ask for lots of grace going forwards. Um, but I had love and uh, a sense of, of being loved regardless of my achievements and accomplishments. I was freed. I was happier than I had ever been before because I knew uh, that there was a source of love and a stamp of approval by God my Father over me and over my life that went beyond what I could muster up and what I could do in and of myself. I was the happiest I had ever been, and it changed my life dramatically, dramatically. You know, as a pastor, um, I'll often talk to people, and you guys probably could relay this and recount this just as well as I can. People who will say, what happened to Jesus? It's a great story, death to life, but at the end, it's just wishful thinking. Is it? 
Or is it actually the most brave, courageous, hope-filled thing ever to look suffering in the face? I mean, Christianity is not whitewashed suffering. We're very, very realistic about it. To look suffering in the face and say, I see it, and that is not the end. I think, I think it's the fortitude of people. I think of, you know, Maya Angelou, the African-American poet who had more than her fair share of suffering, who wrote, out of the huts of history's shame, up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise, I rise, I rise. I think it's the courage of a Ukrainian pastor, an acquaintance of mine, who, who said, quoting scripture from his church in the Ukraine, which he is not leaving for anything. He, he said, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I have nothing, yet I have everything. Guys, it's not wishful thinking. It is needed thinking. And when the rubber hits the road of life, of of growing up, of relationships, of, of careers, it is thinking that we will be so glad that we have fortified ourselves in. It's not wishful thinking. It's needed thinking. But, if, uh, if God is God, if God is up there, I'm down here. The question is not just like, why should, why should I believe in this? Why should I care about this? Why should I care? The question is, why does God care about me? And what is he doing down here in this mess instead of up there where he belongs? By coming down by entering into our our human mess and and troubles, by living as a human, by by living and dying as God also. Christ has won over the forces of spiritual and human sin, evil, and oppression. He takes the worst thing that Satan can dish out. I mean, death on a cross is just so twisted and evil. He takes the worst thing that Satan can dish out, and he just snaps it in half. He breaks it apart. Jesus wins. Jesus conquers. He is victorious over every force of evil, injustice, uh, oppression. The theological term is Christus victor. Christ is the victor. Jesus wins. Jesus lives. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Jesus lives. Jesus wins. First uh, Colossians 1 says, Christ is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Christ goes first. Christ goes through death to the other side. He parts the Red Sea of sin and hurt and shame. And he leads us safe out of captivity to the other side, to a promised land where love is the king and his kingdom will have no end. Christ goes first and we follow Christ goes first, and we stare at an empty tomb. Christ goes first, and we are changed. Because, guys, if death as we know it is changed, then life as we know it is changed. 
Because we don't just say, Jesus has risen from the dead. That's great news. Now I'm happy in the midst of stress or a pandemic. Like, I believe now, now I'm happy in the midst of everything. It's not just that we have a better ending. And knowing that you have a better ending is so important. It gives you the strength to, to do what's right and not cut corners because you know that and it gives you the, the strength to have hope and maybe even joy in the midst of, of troubles. But knowing that there is a better ending is not just all there is. We are actually living in a better story right here and right now. Right now, God is transforming my deadness into new life. Right now, God is working his power and his love over my life in miraculous ways. We don't just have a better ending. We have a better story to live in right here and right now. Christ has already been raised. It's already started. It's already happening. What I'm getting is, like, hope is good. Hope is really necessary and, and good. But we have more than just hopeful thinking. We have hope-filled living. It transfers us into a new reality where, where dead people are already coming back to life, where love is already winning over hatred and oppression, where the power of a forgiving God just reverses the worst thing ever. We get not just to think differently, but we get to live differently. We are moved from death into life right here and right now. And there are three things, I think, that Jesus is moving us from death into life accomplishes for us. First, and the power of what Jesus has done, we go from surviving to thriving. Our acts of, of faithfulness, of service, of just plain showing up and doing what we need to do. You know, these three women, they showed up they did what they needed to do. They said, you know, we'll go and prepare for the, the, you know, the body for, for burial and everything like that. And they stumbled upon, like, an amazing opportunity. Their obedience plus God's power took them from coping to conquering, took them from surviving to thriving. You know, um, Denoid mentioned our uh, mobile food pantry where we deliver groceries. And the, yesterday we did um, Easter baskets, so about 100 Easter baskets. And um, I went with uh, another woman in our congregation and we delivered to uh, one household. And, you know, one of the kids wasn't feeling great. Um, she said, hey, can you pray for, uh, pray for them? And... Um, so she, she gets down, um, just like kneels on, on one knee, uh, holds a kid's hand, and just says, you know, we'd really like to pray for you, pray that Jesus helps you feel better, and that you know his, his love. And uh, she starts to pray, and oh my goodness, guys, the look on this child's face. It was just like, oh, this like, I mean, she is a cute kid to begin with. Um, and uh, we get back into the car, and I was like, well, that was great, right? And um, she says, you know what? Children... They don't understand what's being said all the time, but that kid knew that God loved her. It was just such a beautiful moment. And uh, she's just coming to, to serve for an hour and a half on Saturday morning to deliver, to help out. Um, and just, 
you know, I just think we get these bonus points when we follow God, like these things thrown in extra, like, you know, this just amazing uh, moment of praying and receiving and sharing God's love. Our obedience plus God's power takes us from coping to conquering when we are moved from death to life. And then living in the resurrection, as we all can now, takes us from a fear-filled huddle to a loving reach. You know, before the resurrection, they were huddled together in fear like, oh my goodness, they crucified him. What are they going to do to us? And then crucifixion didn't even work on him. So they, after they see Jesus, after they are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, they're just transformed. They told everyone, invited everyone, started hanging out with people who weren't even Jewish, which was a big deal. The resurrection releases power to love. Honestly, no one has loved me more than other followers of Jesus. I think about when I was, uh, you know, younger 20s, 24, 25, you know, I uh, joined this church in, you know, my hometown in Connecticut, and, um, you know, it's smaller and stuff, and uh, people just like, oh, new person, okay, and um, there's one woman in the congregation, probably 50 or 60, you know, significantly older than me, um, I forget her medical condition, she was uh, wheelchair-bound, lived in a, um, assisted living facility, her own little apartment in this uh, complex. And, you know, she comes up to me, okay, new person, uh, I'd like to invite you over for dinner. And uh, so I went over to her house, she made me dinner. And, you know, I just thought it was, I really like her, very enjoyable, just very intentional about caring for me and loving me. It's not necessarily an easy thing to make me dinner. It's not necessarily an easy thing for me to get over there. But I was like, this is what Christians do. I had women in that congregation. Uh, I have two pieces of jewelry that people just took off their body and gave to me. You know, one woman, she, she gave me her watch, and she's like, you know, this was my mom's. It was really valuable and precious to me. And uh, you're really valuable and precious to God. And I think God just wants you to have this watch. I was like, what happens in this place? Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, Maybe I should come better prepared with more jewelry to take off. I don't know. Um, no one has loved me more than other Christians have. I know that the church can be messy and it can be complicated and there can be some hurt and pain mixed up in that too. But really, Jesus' resurrection gives us new power to love. Over hurt, through pain and betrayal, Jesus brings us into a new place of empowered love for others. And then thirdly, believing in the resurrection, following a resurrected Lord enables us to face the very real hurt and pain of life in a totally different way. Life will hurt you know, life will hurt. We will have real uh, struggles financially, uh, work-wise, to just even make it. You know, I look at my kids. I, I wish that life had been different. I, you know, I wish my mom was here for Easter dinner and not in the hospital this year. I wish, you know, but Jesus was raised with nail-pierced hands. 
the gruesome wounds that everyone thought terminated his life are actually his victory scars. Jesus' wounds are for the healing of the world. And so are mine. So are yours. There are many of us here who bear glorified scars. Chemotherapy, divorces, loss. And you have graciously offered your glorified scars to others in vulnerability and sharing for healing. Um, my mom went into the hospital on Wednesday, and, you know, the, the church is really lovely. I always feel like I really need to, when I share something uh, bad, I really need to uh, put on caveats. She will be okay. I don't need 18 people praying for her. Sometimes we're like, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. Please pray. That's great. She, she will be okay, however. Um, but she went in on Wednesday, and um, this has happened before. Uh, longer things, so we kind of know how it works. Probably a couple of weeks in the hospital. Um, but uh, as we're talking on the phone, we're reminiscing about the last time she couldn't eat for 21 days. And, um, and uh, her and my dad, they're both retired. Uh, they're in this community chorus, uh, mostly of other retirees. They sing classical music. Uh, the men dress up in tuxedos, the women, you know, white blouse, black pants. And, you know, they really enjoy doing this uh, community chorus. And it usually performs around Easter time. So last time this happened to my mom, she was in the hospital for their performance. Um, couldn't make it. My dad went and sang, and he came straight from the performance to the hospital to see her and go for a little walk along the hospital uh, corridor. She's wheeling her IV cart, wearing her hospital gown. My dad's dressed in his tuxedo, walking her down the aisle. And you know, it's a funny, cute story. But as we reminisce about the last time this happened, the last time of, of hurt and pain and the love and the goodness that saw her through it, guys, this is not to be taken for granted. You know, my parents, you know, my family, lovely, lovely people. But, you know, seeing hope and goodness and everything, this is not to be taken for granted. It's not just that they know that there's a better ending. It's because they have been transferred into a better story. Where our hurt is healed. Where we do believe in resurrection and love and the healing power of God right here and right now in the midst of our hospital rooms, in the midst uh, of our head down on the, the kitchen table at midnight. We believe that we are living in a story where Jesus lives. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Christ goes first, and we get to follow. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. Um, the Bible says it this way. Don't you know, don't you know, and friends this morning, know, know for sure, that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we, now you, may also live new lives. 
Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. That's amazing, guys. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And since we died with Christ, we also will live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Because he lives. Because Jesus lives, we have new life. Let's stand together. And friends, let's pray. You know, if Jesus had stayed dead, things would have stayed normal. That's normal. And we have a choice this Easter Sunday. Do we want things to stay dead and normal? Or do we want to open ourselves to the kind of terrifying, crazy power of a resurrected Savior? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that it was your great love for us that brought you to the cross. It was your great love for us that rose you up again. This morning we say yes to new life in you. As uh, different and weird and terrifying and uh, totally not normal as that is, would you take us into your new life of conquering sin where sin has no hold on us, where our old patterns, old habits of, of negativity and failure and sin don't hold on to us anymore. We are raised with you to new life, with your power to love, love you and love others. Where we are not stuck on the cross in pain and hurt, in complaining and suffering but we are transferred into your greater story. And we get to see you work and see you move as we are obedient to you right here and right now. Would you do this in me? Would you do this in us this Easter Sunday? In Jesus' name.